Grab a seat. Feel free to continue that conversation at the uh, indoor patio party. This is, I think it's the second time we've been rained out. Not ra rained in. We're going to keep doing it, though. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Father's Day. Maybe Father's Day. <laughs> uh, man, when I was uh, 17, 18, this is, this is not what I thought I would be doing. Um, 100%. I could not have imagined I'd be standing on a Sunday uh, in Columbia Heights, Minnesota doing this. Um, this, though, if you're wondering what I looked like at the time, this is a picture of my senior picture. This is actually this week we had uh, lunch with some friends, actually a family, the Isvics, who helped launch our location here, Steve and Amanda, and Kelly and I got to have lunch with them, uh, catch up with them. And they, the first thing they say is, we still have your senior picture on our fridge. And I... I didn't know they had my senior picture on their fridge. I said, oh, that's cool. It has a hugs and kisses uh, magnet on it, I guess. I just, I guess I mean more to them than I realized. Uh, I think this was from a white elephant gift exchange, maybe. Uh, that is actually me. Um, when I was uh, a senior, as I was heading to, off to college, I first thought I was going to be an engineer, and that changed very quickly. And then I thought uh, I was going to be a film student, which I was. I was an engineering student very briefly, and then a film student, and then a graphic designer, and then I was just going to be an artist, uh, and then I was just going to drop out of school and make films with friends, uh, and then my dad asked me how I'd make money, and I didn't do that. Um, it was, it, I, I changed a lot of things, kind of. It, I kept thinking, I think this, I think this, and actually what really changed course for me was that those first years in college, I got connected uh, to some um, guys on campus who were a little older than me who kept inviting me to the Bible studies, and I didn't really even understand what that was totally. But uh, in the process of some high school friends and some college friends, uh, I heard really good news. Uh, the good news that we could talk about every week when we get together here and in small groups and with friends. Um, I got to hear about this good news uh, that has changed my life. And, and the good news that we get to talk about today uh, in this passage we're looking at today is kind of right at the center of this good news. In fact, last week I shared... Uh, uh, Martin Luther calls this, oh, maybe it's not there. Is it not there? Oh, this is good news. Uh, Martin Luther says this passage in Romans that we're in, as we're studying Romans, is actually the chief point, the very central place of the epistle and the whole Bible. This message that we get to look at here, especially these, these few weeks, last week and this week and next week, is this passage in Romans that really explains why everything changes with Jesus. And so I'm excited to continue looking at that with all, with all of you. And it's really what changed for me uh, what future looked like. Because that changed what I did. Actually, it changed, I realized whatever I'm doing, uh, I do it differently now because of this. Uh, and so here we go. We're going to look at this passage. This is Romans 3, uh, 21 through 26. And we've been looking at this passage. We looked at the first part of it. Today, we're going to look at the middle. And then tomorrow, next week, we're going to look at the end of it. Let's just read the whole thing here. I'm going to read it to you. Um, so if you want to pull out your Bibles or... Uh, just read along. It'll be right on the screen. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there's no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a uh, propitiation Every time I got to pause. By this blood to be conceived by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. 
It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. A lot of stuff there. It's a dense passage. Uh, Last week we looked at this first part of this passage and we were reminded that the law accuses us. It says, you're guilty. As if we were in in a court together. It paints this picture of a court scene saying you are guilty and you're sentenced to death for your treason, for your sin, for your turning away from God. And God steps in the way. Jesus comes down and steps in our place. Even though we are guilty, he steps in and takes our sentence. It's incredible. This is such an important part of the gospel to understand this, that we are guilty, but that Christ steps in for us. And today we're looking at this next part of this, um, from God accusing us to God saying, I love you this much, so much, that I'm willing to step in and give this, this gift of grace to you. And how does that happen? Well, it happens through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Just looking at this one part of this passage, this one little dense uh, nugget here, this, this part that has lots of things, uh, some words I'm sure you're like, what, what is that? What's going on there? This makes me think of kind of um, recently with family, we gathered a lot uh, through, at my mom's funeral. We, watched, we looked at lots of photos and there's a, there's, sometimes there's a photograph that gets pulled out of a box and it, it, it turns into like an hour long discussion or hour long story. And there's some photographs that were pulled out that it was like, who's that and where are they? And whose house was that? And what farm was that? And all of a sudden, all these stories come out of all the parts of the picture. Kind of it like, it turns into this like really dense story just from one old photograph. I didn't know that. And I, I didn't know they used to go there or even did that. I didn't know. Aunt, my aunt used to farm like this. So today we're going to take a moment to unpack kind of that, to look at this dense uh, sentence and be reminded of this good, good news that we have. And so we're going to look at kind of four main words or parts of this and why, uh, as we unpack each those, sort of as four parts of the picture and and try to understand uh, what all those are. All right, first we're gonna look at this word redemption. What is redemption? Why would that word be used there? Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward. What is that? Why is he saying he put him forward? What is that phrase? Even what does that look like? And we're gonna have to look at propitiation. That's a weird word. We don't use that word normally in our normal vocabulary. What is that? Why is that word used there? Why is that so important? By his blood to receive by faith. Talked about faith before, but why are these kind of four things so important as we unpack and look at this, this thing? And so these are actually, for me, I'm going to look us, I think they point us to some great history of God's people, some moments that are so key. And so we're going to look into each one of these moments. I think these are kind of um, as if you're looking at a picture and you go redemption in it, it makes you, remind you of a story. And so imagine us sitting around together in a little Roman church, in a little house, and we read this and we go, oh, redemption. And it reminds us of these stories of redemption. And so first we're going to start right here uh, at the word redemption. This means this word here is a word that has a lot of, of context, a lot of meaning to it. It means we are paid for, that we're bought back. In fact, it's a word that's connected very closely to slavery. And so it'd be as if you're buying back someone out of slavery into freedom. Something that people could understand, especially Jewish people and other people who had, their people had a history of slavery and a history of even being rescued out of that or taken out of that. A deep part of their identity. Uh, 
Thomas uh, Hoy Jr. says this, the word redemption borrowed from the institution of slavery expresses the experience of a slave who suddenly finds out that someone has purchased or ransomed his freedom. A ransom usually entailed money or some medium of exchange. Christ did better than give money. He gave his life as a ransom for humankind from the power of sin. So when we read that, we might read that and not hear that like, or not, or not, that might hit our hearts, right? The same way or hit our minds the same way. But this is uh, written to a people, uh, for sure all of them would have understood slavery, but some very deeply into the identity of their people. If you're talking to a Jewish person, their identity is so tied to the Exodus and their rescue from slavery from Egypt uh, that saying redemption would have, would have indicated this deliverance they had as they were rescued in the story of the Exodus. If we go back to that story, that's a story where God takes his people from slavery and pulls them through, uh, pulls them out of slavery in Egypt. And over and over miracles happen and God's hands involved. And he, he continuously has them in places where they could do nothing. And death was their option or being captured back into slavery and God rescues them again. And again, they're backed up to the sea and he rescues them by getting them through the sea. And at the end of this time, this moment, uh, they exclaim this, they say, thus, Thus, uh, the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Not only does God save them, but he also takes care of the enemy that they have. Israel saw the great power that God used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and his servant Moses. And so this, out of this rescue comes a, a faith in God and who he is. And so this redemption in this passage, today we get a picture not just of the court, but we get a picture now of this rescue, this freedom that's brought about in the gospel. That once under slavery for us, we would say under sin, right? In our flesh that seemed to control us under uh, even Satan's rule at times. And it's saying, no, you have freedom from that. And so next, the freedom from that, what does that look like? Where does that come from? Well, it comes from, uh, that redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward. So God puts forward this redemption. In fact, this phrase in other translations says, put on display or made known. This is a phrase that we see in scripture often to describe Christ because he wasn't, it's not just an idea, but Christ actually came in the flesh incarnate to earth and was made known, was on display. And this passage is interesting because this actually points to a moment uh, in history that's, that's very cool. It's a, a very cool moment that is very confusing, I think. Uh, it could be confusing, especially until Jesus really describes this moment. So there's, we're gonna back up a little bit from when Paul wrote this to the moment when Jesus is sitting with Nicodemus. He's a Pharisee, he's a religious ruler, and he's becoming interested in what Jesus is doing. And he sits down with Jesus and he asks him some questions. And Nicodemus says to him, how can, how can these things be? And Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, you speak of what we know, we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. So you've seen what's happening, Jesus and his disciples. If, you have told, uh, if I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? You're seeing things happen right here and you don't believe how in the world are you going to believe these heavenly things that are happening? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the son of man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up 
that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So Jesus is trying to encourage Nicodemus here, like, do you understand? The son of man, the Messiah, the anointed one, he's sitting across from him right now. He's come and he is gonna bring life, eternal life to those. And he gives this, this interesting reference to a story where Moses lifts up a snake on a pole and it heals people. It's a story I actually remember reading when I was a new believer. Uh, I remember reading uh, like moments in the Old Testament with some people and we read this story and none of us knew what to do with it. <laughs> and so we were just like, well, I guess God's good. That was our big, t- I remember that being a big takeaway <laughs> this, this Bible study. But Jesus here really gives us an interpretation of it, right? He says, the son of man's gonna come and he's gonna be lifted up. Let's, let's see this story. So now we go back, we go to Jesus talking to Nicodemus who then refers to this other story, right? That happens sometimes when you're sitting around telling stories, you hear a story and you're like, who is that again? And then you can hear another story. This is the story Jesus is referring to from Numbers 21. From Mount Hor, they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. I love this because they these moments where they actually um, set out, they go close to the Red Sea. And you wonder if even those are moments where they remember this deliverance, this rescue, this redemption that they had. The people became impatient on the way. The people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there's no food and no water and we loathe this worthless food. Uh, Does this sound like a road trip? Like, I'm so hungry. There's no food and I hate the food. Like, oh, I thought you said there was no food. There is food. I just don't like granola bars. I don't like trail mix. I want a different snack. I want a gas station snack. Why did you bring me here? (laughs) You brought us here to die. I think we might've heard that on a road trip in our car. Did you just bring me here to die? (laughs) We're just in Iowa. It's okay. (laughs) So they say there's no food and water. We loathe this food. Why did you bring us here? You rescue us from slavery and we're in the wilderness and this is terrible. This is one of those moments where God's people can say like, oh, I wish we were slaves again. So, so to a point of so much of like not seeing the picture, the big picture here, I wish we were. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. We've never done that on a road trip. Never sent snakes back. The people came, just threatened to pull over, but that's a real deal. These people are turned from God, not believing what God's doing complaining. Uh, and God sends these snakes, fiery serpents, and these people begin to die. The people came to Moses and said, we have sinned for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he may take away the serpents from us. So when they repent, right? They say, hey, we, we have sinned. We've turned away from God and now we want to turn back to God. Please ask God to not send any more snakes So Moses prayed for the people and the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten then sees it shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Is this wild? So so they turn from God and God sends these snakes. And then the the people say, Lord, we, we sin. We turn from you. We're turning back. Please do something and the Lord says, okay, so what I want you to do is I want you to make a snake, like a, a cool metal snake out of bronze or silver, put it on a pole and, hit, and hold it up. And when people have been bitten, when, they, when this punishment has come to them, kind of almost a picture of this wrath, right? That we've seen in Romans comes to them. They just have to come and look at the snake on the pole and they'll be healed. 
What a wild picture, huh? These people are bit by snakes and they come and just look up at it. Just look to this snake on a pole and then God heals them. Not really because the pole, right? A bronze snake on a pole doesn't heal you. Please don't put snakes on poles. Uh, But God then will heal them. There's this opportunity from the turn and actually come to what God has called them to do. And if the serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and they would live. Remember what Jesus had said before? He says, they'll look at the son of man and they shall live. And if you remember this passage, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. The next thing he says is the passage we all maybe know. Maybe the first passage you learn. Jesus says in 14 here, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the man be lifted uh, that whatever, whoever believes in him may have eternal life. He's saying, there's gonna be a time where the son of man will be lifted up. And when people look upon him, put faith in him, they'll have eternal life. And then in context, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him on a cross. People can look to him on the cross and be saved and have life. When we've been bitten, we can look to Jesus and be saved and be healed. He's the better bronze serpent, right? So our passage is saying there is redemption, there is rescue, there's payment for you out of the slavery that you have to sin and the flesh and to Satan. And it's look to Jesus, the one who is like the serpent, but forever and ever have life as you look to him. And how does that happen? Propitiation. Next word, right? Everyone got that? (laughs) This is an interesting word. This is a word that we don't use often, but it actually is the word in the text here that actually is, uh, is the word mercy seat, which also a word maybe you aren't familiar with, but it's a word that points very strongly to something that's so important, especially to the Jewish people. This is a, a, a part, the mercy seat is a part of the, of the day of atonement. It's a part of the Ark of the Covenant. It's this place of mercy that takes place in this ritual that happens every year in order to atone for sins, in order to make right sins. And so God's people, we've talked about this before, they come uh, uh, together and they actually shed the blood. They, they pray the sins of the people onto these animals, right? To these goats or these, these sheep. And they, they kind of like take on the sins. And then symbolically, they then bring them in and they actually drip their blood on this mercy seat. This is what it, how it explains how it should happen. And then he shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his fingers in the front of the mercy seat on the east side. And in front of the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his fingers seven times. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring its blood inside the veil and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull. So this is the, the high priest. The priest is doing this special ritual and he's taking the blood of these animals. So these animals are killed. You get to you have to witness a death that comes from your sin and then its blood is sprinkled on this mercy seat, this cover of this, the ark, sprinkling over the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. Thus he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanliness um, of the people of Israel and because of their transgressions, all their sins. Saying this is happening because you've sinned. Death is coming. Blood is, is being shed. And we're dripping it on this mercy seat and then, and then it's taken care of. 
Like this is the payment that's going to free you from this slavery of sin. And so he shall do for the tent of meeting, which dwells with them in the midst of the uncleanliness. For on this day shall, uh, on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. You shall be clean before the Lord for all your sins. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest to you and you shall uh, afflict yourselves. It is a statue forever. And the priest who is anointed and consecrated as priest in his father's place shall make atonement wearing the holy linen garments. He shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary and he shall make atonement for the tent of meeting and for the altar. And he shall make atonement for the priests and for all the people of the assembly. And this shall be a statute forever for you that atonement may be made for the people of Israel once in the year because of all their sins. So a lot of atonement going on. And there's this symbol, right? This, this moment where the priest goes in with, uh, with the blood of these slain animals who re- represent, they carried the sin of the people. And they say, every year you're going to do this because every year you're going to keep sinning. Every year you're going to keep gathering and you're going to keep doing this and blood is going to continue to be shed and dripped on the mercy seat so that you're reminded of the mercy of God and his forgiveness. And so we're here in this passage, there's redemption that comes to us. It's the one we look at and he heals us because his blood has been shed and not just shed every year for us, but Jesus being the better sacrifice has shed his blood at once and for all we are forgiven. The wrath of God changes his attitude towards us. This reminds me of this scene uh, in uh, the C.S. Lewis writes about the Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe because um, there's this uh, child, right? The little boy has fallen in the hands of the wicked witch in Aslan. They would love to rescue him, but someone has to kind of pay for his sins ultimately. And there's this magic or kind of the law of the land that says, yeah, but he did commit a sin. He is, there is like payment for this. There is something that a law that was broken. And so there's consequence to that. So who's paying for that consequence, right? This is the same picture that we see for us. If God was unjust, he would just say, ah, who cares? Not a big deal. If you remember last week, we talked about someone who didn't accept a pardon from the president. The reason he got his pardon wasn't because someone stepped in place for him. It's because he knew the right guy who knew the right guy who said, hey, Andrew Jackson, my buddy's on death row. Could you get him out? And he's like, yeah, that sounds good. That's unjust, right? That's unjust because he still was owed death and he just kind of got out. And our God isn't unjust. He's, he's right and he's holy. And so he's just. And so he says, but you have sinned and turned for me. So then how, does, how can I be just? Someone has to pay for this. And so in the line which the road we see Aslan actually says, I'm willing to pay for this. He actually says in there, there's a deeper magic from the dawn of time that enables one who dies willingly for someone else to take on that person's punishment and let them go free. Then he lets the wicked witch execute him. I remember watching this first time with their girls and they're like, no, this can't happen. He's in the other movies, I think. <laughs> they still, it didn't click. It didn't click yet. There's that moment where someone has to die. If we have a just God, someone has to die. Douglas Moo says, a fair reading of the Old Testament makes clear that the day of atonement ritual included both the remission of sins, that's called expiation. So not only takes the sins, but the turning away of God's wrath, propitiation. So not only is it the sins are taken away, but God has a change. 
it changes here. The, the wrath is actually not coming to us anymore. The very word atonement contains the idea of the removal of punishment due sin and includes a change in God's attitude towards the sinner. Do you hear that? It's really important. Not only are the, the punishment was removed for us, but it actually changes how God sees us. Tim Keller says, God does not set his justice aside. He turns it onto himself. The cross does not represent a compromise between God's wrath and his love. He doesn't go, okay, I guess we can work a deal here. I love you a lot. And maybe let's not make this so harsh. There's no compromise. It does not satisfy each halfway. Rather, it satisfies each fully in the very same action. On the cross, the wrath and love of God were both vindicated, both demonstrated, both expressed perfectly. They both shine out and are utterly fulfilled. The cross is a demonstration of both God's justice and his justifying love. It's incredible. Paul here is right. In one sentence, he's saying, you've been redeemed and rescued from the slavery of sin, death from yourselves and from Satan. And it's because there's one who is willing to die, whose blood was willing to be shed in your place. The sins as they did on those animals were put on him and he died and once and for all, we've been given life. This is incredible. Incredible. This is really good news. So far, all out of my hands. So far, all nothing that I did, nothing I convinced God of, nothing I worked hard for, but all out of our God who loves us deeply. And so then we move to another moment where Jesus reminds his disciples this thing as he sits at the Last Supper. We call it, he's eating a meal that's celebrating the Passover. This moment is that God, they're celebrating the redemption of God's people from slavery. And Jesus says, now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it and broke it, he gave us to his disciples. We do this every week, right? We walk on the hallway and we break our little bread and drink our little cups. Why do we do this? Jesus says, take and eat. This is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the wine until that day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. He's saying, friends, I'm, I'm the one who, I'm the lamb now who's gonna be slain. My blood will be dripped on the mercy seat and forever your sins will be forgiven and forever the wrath of God will be satisfied. And I'll see you on the other side when God's kingdom is fulfilled. This is incredible. So Jesus, when they're sitting there together is telling them this is gonna happen. And now Paul's saying, it did happen. It's true. And this is what changes everything. And it changes everything where we finally come in and that's by us receiving this through faith. We say yes to the first part of that sentence. Yes, through Christ, I have been redeemed. Yes, as I look to Christ, I am saved because his blood was shed. And forever I am forgiven and the wrath of God is satisfied. This faith part is so important for us to understand so important. And a picture of this, uh, I, I was given this, this last week we got to watch, uh, we love watching The Chosen. I don't know if any of you watch this great story of Jesus. Uh, and there's a moment where there's a woman who just, it was like I was re, it was like someone had said, hey, share a story that explains Romans to you. 
And there's a story of a woman uh, that you, you may read in scripture, a story of a woman who has been bleeding for 12 years. And because of that culturally and religiously, she can't be touched by anyone. She can't be, people can't uh, get close to her. In fact, if you get close to her, then you're unclean, you're dirty, you're an outsider. She's been an outsider for so long to the point her family has made her an outsider and pushed away. She's alone. She's living by herself outside the city in a tent. She's tired and weary. And uh, her faith changes everything and who her faith in changes everything. I want to just watch this short clip of this moment as we just to get a picture of what faith would look like. This is also before this Jesus even dies. She has faith that he's the one who's going to do this. Just a fringe. One touch. One thread. One thread. Just, just the edge. Only a thread. You! I know you! Get away from him! Stop it, please! Rabbi Yussi! Rabbi Yussi! This woman bleeds. She is unclean. We removed her. Please, please, I have a promise I won't touch him. I, I just need oh, Woman, please, we can help you, but not now. Everybody back. I asked the question, who touched me? Master, the crowds are pressing in all around you like this and you're asking who touched you? They all have. Someone touched me. I felt that power went out of me. Whoever touched me, come forward. Teacher. It was me. Just the fringe of your garment, only the edge, I promise. You are not unclean. Why my garment? I'm sorry. I know I should have asked. But if if you touched me, it would make you ritually unclean according to the law. I was sick. I was sick for 12 years. I bled and, and no one could stop it. But but I believed if I could just touch a piece of your garment. <laughs> and I was right. I was right. Thank you. Who told you I could heal? A man from the pool. <laughs> and he was right. The blood is ceased. My daughter. I'm no one's daughter anymore. Look up. Yes, you are. Daughter. 
wasn't my piece of clothing that healed you. But it was instant. I felt it right away. I know, but it wasn't this. It was your faith. Teacher, she was bleeding so long. We can take her. She is clean. sniffles i don't know i, I just re- i cry so much watching this show uh i don't know if that's a, a review that you want to hear but uh do you hear the words that were spoken you're clean you have a family and your faith healed you not not actually touching his garment but the faith that she put the belief she put in him being the one who would heal her even i mean just even to look up, look up, look at me. Look, this is what he calls to us. Aren't, aren't we exhausted? I'm exhausted. I'm sick of sin and Satan and death controlling and yelling to me how I should live. Uh, and I want to look up. I want to be healed. Uh, we hear this same language as we look uh, in Hebrews. Hebrews is one long book that continues to scream to us, look. To Jesus, look at the one on the, on the pole. He will heal you. We hear this uh, in Hebrews 12. After a long list of those who have put their faith, who have looked at Christ and been healed, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight. Can you picture her in that scene? Like, like pushing through a crowd. Let's, let's lay aside these things that are holding us back, whether people or accusations, the sin and which clings to us so closely, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus. What's that race? It's not, it's not like hustle more, it's run after him more. Look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, the one that creates our faith, the one that starts and the one that continues to grow as we continue putting faith in him in that redemption, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. In some parts of Hebrews says, consider him, gaze upon him, look to him. That's the gospel that we wake up every day. Maybe for the first time you say, yes, I believe. And you make that step to reach to him, to look to him and you're healed. But then every day we're continuing here. That's that's a justification, that first moment, and then a sanctification, we use that word. To, so you continually do this over and over again to be healed because we have been rescued and we are redeemed people. Uh, in just uh, about a month, in, J- in June, we get to celebrate Juneteenth. And this passage actually uh, was preached on by Tony Evans. 
and he shared that it reminds him of Juneteenth. Now, Juneteenth is, an, is uh, in 1863 was the moment um, when emanci- emancipation was proclaimed, right? The Emancipation Proclamation was declared uh, in 1863, which was uh, the proclamation that was declared in our country to say, hey, all people are created equal and there is no more slavery. But it didn't actually get, the word didn't get out to everyone. And so for a long time, actually two years, uh, people didn't know in certain parts of our country. And in Texas, when the last people heard, it was uh, on June 19th, that's when the last people, the last slaves heard, you're, you're free. You've been freed. There's redemption. You're freed. You no longer have to act like slaves. You know, are free to live. And so there's all these celebrations and we call them Juneteenth. There's some people call them Freedom Day. Uh, part like kind of celebrations broke out. I, can just, I love this photo because this makes me just imagine like just a, a party breaking out in this celebration. Tony Evans says, I love uh, this story because it reminds me of a greater truth, that Jesus Christ on Calvary 2,000 years ago signed our Emancipation Proclamation. He declared that you are free, but Satan is trying to keep it a secret from you. He's trying to keep you from coming into the realization that you don't have to stay tied down. You don't have to say yes, sir, to his control of your life any longer. You can now put down that plow and move north. You can now take the freedom that has been offered you and act on it. You can collect your 40 acres and a mule and start plowing your own land now. You can start living through the freedom that, has, that you have because you have now been made free in Christ. That's who you are. But you must live like it. Just in faith. Each day we get to say Oh, that's not true. Each day, Satan's going to tell you the same lie he said so long ago in the garden. Does God really care for you? Is he really with you? Is he really for you? And God's going to tell you, I have rescued you by the blood of Christ. And you get to say yes to one of those. You get to look to one of those. So maybe something to consider this week is what are the things that we're saying yes, sir, to that are not Christ that we think are bringing us freedom and are not. I welcome our worship team up so we can sing and uh, praise this good God who has rescued us in faith, has healed us in faith. And I just want to ask us today um, that one question, will you look to Jesus today? The one on a cross, looking to him and realizing the blood that was shed and the life that's given to you as he did die on that cross, his blood was shed, but he did not stay dead. He rose from the grave, which means we rise from the grave and he ascended to heaven and sits on his throne and Ephesians tells us we're there with him. And so today we can claim ourselves as as family members, as clean as ones that have a future through simply saying yes to Jesus, our faith in him. We have an opportunity to celebrate all those things today. uh, We can take communion that's out in our hallways. We'd love for you to do that. And remember, this is something Christ said to us 2,000 years ago. He said, when you gather, do this. Break bread and and drink wine or grape juice. (laughs) And and remember that my blood was shed so forever you would be forgiven. We're going to sing songs that remind us of that. We have people in the back of the room who would love to pray for you as you can confess, be cared for. We also respond just by giving to God to continue the ministry of the gospel. Through that line, we also have a giving box back at this communion table. Let me pray for us as we continue to worship here. Father, you have come and you have rescued us. 
like that snake on a pole, Lord, you are so much greater that we look to you on the cross and we know that we have been rescued from sin, that you've paid the price and your blood being shed so that ours was not and that now we have freedom in you. Lord, I pray as we sing and take communion and pray that it, it would wash over us your words that we are clean because of you, that we are loved because of you, that we have a family because of you, that we're wanted because of you that you loved us so much that you're willing to give of yourself. And I pray that you would help our hearts turn to you. Our faith would rest in you. Pray these things in Jesus' really good name. Amen.